Welcome to the Biltmore Church Podcast. Our church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who reach up, reach in, and reach out. And this podcast is a resource to hopefully help you do just that. We're in week four of our teaching series called The Tale of Two Kingdoms. And we'll be talking about being citizens of the kingdom of heaven while still living in the kingdom of the world. My name is Christian Cooper. I serve on staff here, and I'm here today with our lead pastor, Bruce Frank, and also with Tyler Flores, who serves on our communications and production team. I've said that a number of times. I still write it down just to make sure I get it right. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to a great conversation with you guys today. We're going to mix things up just a little bit. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and ambition. Normally, we kind of open up with Sunday Recap. Today, the whole episode is just going to be an extended Sunday Recap. There's just a ton of stuff to talk about straight out of the structure of your sermon on Sunday, Pastor Bruce. So I'm looking forward to just having a continued conversation about what ambition, what greatness looks like in the kingdom versus the kingdom of the world. And uh, the way that you set up your sermon on Sunday is, you know, Jesus turns greatness upside down. Um, so we're just going to walk through these four ways that Jesus flips greatness upside down. That was what was in your sermon as I just copy and pasted it over and continue that conversation. So uh, principle number one, way number one that Jesus flips greatness upside down uh, is that as Christ followers, we are to pursue humility. Yeah, so Pastor Bruce, you... Basically, what you said on Sunday, if, if, I, if I recall correctly, is that you made a distinction between humbling yourself um, and being or feeling humble. You said that those two things are not necessarily the same thing. How would you distinguish those two things? Yeah, um, a humility is more, it's, it's an attitude and an action. And so when, you know, the context of the, the passage is they're, they're like the opposite because they're like, I want recognition. I want people to see how great I am. I want the two best seats in the house. I want all of that. So the point came from Jesus starting off with the gospel. Obviously, he was going to humble himself. But then the idea of uh, humility is not thinking, um, it's not self-degradation. It's not putting yourself down. It's not like, oh, I'm such a bad person. That's not really it. It's really, it's an attitude because the word humility comes from the word humus, which just means from the dirt. And so it's realizing my humanity. It's like, all right, uh, I've had help to get where I am. Um, uh, you know, God had me, gave me a lot of different distinctions or a lot of different things uh, that uh, I've been able to get in this leadership position because of what he's done. So part of it is uh, pursue humility is an attitude, uh, but it's also an action. I mm-hmm. want to do those things that correspond to humility, which kind of what it is what the rest of the passage is. But again, the, the, the one that stuck with me, if I told you like 20 years ago, I heard that phrase, pursue humility. And that is the best thing you can say is I'm a proud man pursuing humility. Yeah. It's not like, you know, like, oh, I've arrived at humility. You know, once you've arrived at humility, you're not humble anymore. So it's just the understanding that I'm going to do, I'm going to get in the lane. I'm going to get in the river of those things that Obviously, Jesus, Philippians 2, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so he starts off with that, which to me has always been such an interesting contrast because he gives him the gospel. This is the third time he's done it. He's third time he's like, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to get flogged. And they're like, hey, hey, okay, enough about that. <laughs> but let me, I want to talk about me. And then, yeah. you know, and, then, and, and actually, you know, mom gets a lot of it, but it's the sons. Yeah. If you look at the other accounts, the mother's not even mentioned. So it's like James and John, they're pushing, mm. you know, mom, hey, go up there and kind of get us get us in the lead. So that first point was really a contrast to the whole scene, and then the other ones sort of break down. 
Well, I, I, I'm sorry, Christian. I'm yeah. going to interrupt you. I, I, two things. One, I, I actually love that it's that the mom is mentioned in the one sort of gospel account. It's, I sometimes like to put myself in the minds of the, the of the writers of the, of the gospels, and it's just like, no, it was it, mom was there. Their mom <laughs> showed up. I'm putting it down. Just like when John says he outrun outrun Peter yeah. to the tomb. Like these little moments where their personalities shine yeah. through. Sure. You better believe he's sitting there like, nah, I'm going to put this down. I'm throwing their mom. Mom was there. They yeah. called on mom. Yeah. 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 And then you could sense that like these guys are friends. They they've been doing ministry together for a long time and that sort of comes through in the gospels um but i did have a question just sort of a follow-up to something you were saying so and and to something you said on sunday um you mentioned that like receiving compliments as, as being a, it may not have been a part of this specific point um but like i know what my skill set is like I, I walk I, I walk into a room and i know when i have something to say and when i maybe shouldn't say anything at all but when i have something to say i can say it and when i when i when i accomplish something that I'm, i feel good about and someone says hey man that was great um I never know what exactly to feel and, and do in those moments. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, well, thanks. Thanks yeah. so much. And I get myself like red in the face. Like I'm suddenly feeling right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then people are like, no, Tyler, just receive it, receive the compliment, embrace it. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I should do that. Yeah. Like, what is, what is, what is that? What does the balance point look like there? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I will say receiving unconditional love. I mean, that's the gospel. That's the hard part. Mm. Cause actually, you know, the gospel is very humbling in and of itself. And the reason it's humbling is because you can't add to it. And so the whole idea of unconditional love, we have a hard time. Uh, and leaders, I think particularly, it's kind of, it can be kind of faux humility. But when people compliment you, I think what you said was perfect. It's, it's big, big, you know, outwardly be gracious. Because if if you try to like, oh, don't compliment me. It's, you know, we are to build each other up. We are to encourage each other. I think the checkpoint is when you get compliments is to... Um, you know, receive them and thank God for them. Yeah. Like, you know, thank you know, and, and just internally, like, God, thank you for putting me in position to use either my skills or, you know, giving me this. It, it is, I think you want to be uncomfortable with them. Mm. You know, it's when we get comfortable with them. It's like when we get comfortable with the entitlement, we get comfortable with that. I don't think it's unhealthy to have attention. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll give you a, a kind of a crazy example. Uh, sometimes people come up, and it's a lot of times it's kids uh, or parents with kids, and they want me to sign their Bible. Oh yeah, that is so uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's it's not wrong. I mean, uh, you know, there's uh, and and so yeah, I've always just like well, I'm signing a person's uh, Bible, like I'm the celebrity I, just pastor, so you know, or whatever. I didn't write this, you know. No, <laughs> and so, but, but I know what they're mean. It's not a bad motive, and right. you certainly don't want to go. Oh, I don't touch Bible, or right. you know, you don't want to do that guy. Uh, so you're trying to. So I'm just like, hey, he has this treasure in earthen vessels, uh, and you sign it. Yeah. So I, again, it goes back to. It's okay to be uncomfortable. That's why you go back pursuing. What am I doing? I want to always kind of be, you want to be chopping away at the pride. Mm -hmm. Pride is going to be something you always yeah. struggle with, whether you're successful or not. I mean, you want to be, it's like the lawn or it's like, you know, it's like shaving. It's like, if you don't continually shave it, it's going to grow. Mm -hmm. And pride is the mother of all sins. Mm -hmm. And so that's the one, if you're going to pay attention to it, it's just like, I, you know what? I don't have this. I don't have this. God, I need your help. Uh, yeah. And it kind of goes into the, dependency versus competency deal we talked about as well. I was thinking about hearing that that section of the message on Sunday. Uh, just for, for background for me, I've, I'm creeping up on like, I think 10 years in doing ministry, kind of crazy. It's not, you know, forever, but it's enough to Gosh, you're old. start. I know I'm getting there. <laughs> but the, you know, I was an intern here at Biltmore Church for two years um, before coming on full time. And so what I've found is that one of the things like principles for ministry is you you never really stop doing intern work. You're always going to be doing stuff like that along the way. But I found in my heart that the moment that I feel too important 
um, or that, you know, scrubbing the floors or, you know, cleaning a bathroom, taking out the trash, putting little tape marks down on the ground to mark certain things for, for filming and things like the moment I'm too important for that, I have missed it. Um, and when it comes to pursuing humility and a guy on my connect group challenged me on Sunday, he was saying one great thing for him was that he tries to start his day by immediately doing something for somebody else. Mm, and that great. humbles him. And so for him, it was like, Hey, I get up before my wife. So I'm, I'm going to make coffee for her. Um, and then, you know, I'm kind of out the door, but that, that's the first thing I'm doing is for somebody else. And I just, I, don't, I was kind of yeah. wow. stopped in my tracks. And we talk about humbling yourself. It's not just that attitude, but the action is, it's not thinking, what do they say? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right. So in other words, I'm going to think about, okay, how do I bless? And if you're a leader that, that goes into, how do you, uh, for example, like I just got out of a campus pastor, uh, meeting, mm -hmm. you know, and part, and it was reminded, it's like, one of the things is like, here, fill out this development deal because part of what I want to do, where do you want to be in three years? Mm -hmm. Educationally, professionally, personally. What did, and so just doing that is making me think, how do I make them successful? How do I make them effective? And, and, and part of that, and it's not like, oh, I'm super humble doing that. It's the idea of, I'll, as a leader, part of that is thinking about other people. Mm -hmm. How do you make them effective? And then if they win, the kingdom wins. And if the kingdom wins, Jesus is glorified. So that's, it's a kind of a chain of uh, events there. But it starts off with, it's, it's daily. It's, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's a battle. I mean, it's a battle. And the more, the more success you get, the more power, the more prestige, the more accolades, I mean, it, there are far more people that can handle trials than that can handle success. Wow. Right. And, it, and it's, it's, what's wild to me is how insidious that process really is. I'll give you an example. Before I came to Biltmore Church, I worked seven years at a, another church of, of not exact same size, but a similar size, a similar level of complexity. And I started out relatively low on the totem pole. Um, I was the only person in my department. And over the years, my department became a department, um, and I and I became in charge of that department, and I got a seat at the table. You know, like I was I was there, and I was helping to make decisions, um, and it was it was heady stuff. Like it was just like, man, we're we're like casting vision for 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 three thousand people, and I'm I'm just I felt so blessed to be in the room. But over time, um, I had a very strong sense of what I could could do. I mentioned that earlier. I, I know I know what I bring to the table. It's fine. Um, and so I began like gobbling up other things like, oh, you're, you're doing this thing and I could do it better. And maybe <laughs> I was right. Maybe I was wrong. Only time will tell, I suppose. But I would just gobble it up. So this is going to go under my department now. <laughs> and it probably I, I think I I think it got it was better in the end. Um, but what it did in me was gave me an inflated sense of like my value. Um, and when God called us out of Florida to North Carolina and I came to Biltmore Church, um, it was this incredible thing happened where one, I suddenly was at myself in the bottom chair again. Um, and I realized that my, my competency had risen over time. I was very confident in what I could do, but my dependency on God by the time I was done at that church mm. um, was probably at an all time low mm. because I, I, I was so, I, I walked in the door, I said, I knew what I needed to do. I knew what I needed to accomplish. I knew what I could do. Great, I guess but my dependency on God was so, so low. And the minute we were like, no, we're going to uproot our lives and move, and it's an entirely different context, entirely different community of believers, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I was just like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I have a, in, in my pursuit of this, like, really great thing, mm -hmm. 
I've left you behind. And I didn't see it coming. Right. It was yeah. just, it, it was like, the, I like the analogy of the, the beard growing. Yeah. It just sort of happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's one of the most haunting verses in the Old Testament is it's, and I can't remember the reference right now, but it says, um, and he was, it's talking about King Uzziah. And it says, and he was greatly helped until he became strong. Mm. Wow. And so it's, he was greatly helped, meaning that God's hand was on him. The wind was at his back. It's just that unmistakable fact that God's hand is on you. And it says he was greatly helped because he was super successful and he was having all these military campaigns, political, economic. It says as he was greatly helped, comma, until he became strong. In other words, until he's like, I got this. I got this. And it, when he said, I got this, it's like God's like, if you got this, mm. you don't need me. And then it went downhill from yeah. there. So that's a, it's a haunting verse, uh, sobering verse. Humility. We're going to be pursuing it forever, <laughs> at least in this life, right? Uh, secondly, expect suffering. This is the one that, that doesn't go down quite as smooth, right? I mean, none of these are, are easy things, but um, expecting suffering is one way that Jesus flips greatness upside down. Uh, I'll just throw in to start out with, I was um, on the uh, online service on Sunday. Uh, it's fun to see the, the chat feature that we have, mm. people jumping in, particularly in the message and kind of interacting back and forth. And one lady who is new... Um, commented in this point of the sermon, she said, following Jesus is easy. Um, and it, and it kind of caught me off guard. And, you know, there was a part of me that wanted to be like, well, hate to break it to you, you're not following Jesus, you know? But it, it was cool to see other people in that, a, a part of that community kind of jump in and speak into that. Um, but, the, it, you know, we laugh at that example, but that's a prevalent thought. And uh, I just want to clarify a little bit why it's so difficult uh, or why, you know, the suffering is, is a reality for us. I know you mentioned on Sunday about, hey, if they, if they, uh, the, the teacher, it, I always get it flipped over. No, the, around, the, right? the, the student is not above the master. There we go. I mean, the student, and he's, he's, it's a different context, but he's talking about the student, meaning that his disciples, you are not above me. And it's like, if they called me and he's referring to the religious leaders, calling him basically the Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, right. demon, whatever, then they're not going to just always love you. And so, again, Jesus, it, it follow Jesus is amazing. It is joyful. It right. is, it is a, you know, a, a 10 million times. But w the idea is the Bible does not cut corners on the saying that there will be times when your following of Jesus will cost you something. Right. I mean, it's 100% free. It's all grace. But you take... It's almost, it's very difficult to read many pages without seeing it in the scriptures. That's why we always like, mm -hmm. the prosperity gospel is like, that's just a bunch of scubilon. It's mm -hmm. like, you cannot read the scriptures and do that. Either either Jesus' example, uh, Jesus' teaching, the epistles, First uh, Peter chapter 4, it just talks about, don't be surprised when this comes on your, you know, Christ, even Christian history. I mean, this none of this is... Some people will love you. Some people, I mean, Paul talks about to some people, you're the aroma of life. And it's just like, I yeah. love you. And it, you shared Christ with me and my marriage got saved and all this amazing stuff. But then there are other times when they're like, you know what? Uh, they don't necessarily know it, but I hate who you represent. And again, and not because you're being a jerk or being hateful people. And that's the key. Sometimes Christians use uh, those verses as an excuse to be jerks. Right. And I think if you look at First Peter four particularly, and that's especially today, and with Twitter and all this stuff, sometimes Christians use that. Oh, well, you just hate me because uh, you just hate me because I'm standing for Jesus. No, people don't like yeah, you because no. you're just a jerk. <laughs> I mean, you're and you're, yeah. and you're not. You don't look anything like Jesus. Right. I mean, you don't have to look at Twitter, but I mean, every day that's happening. But the idea is, you know, you can stand. There's no matter how winsomely you are, gracious you are, there will be times that you will butt heads with the culture, a system, and values that is, 
you know, the, the kingdom of this air, and it's uh, it's not always going to be pleasant. And my point that was a sobering deal was culturally we've been in an anomaly for 200 mm-hmm. years in our country, and we've gotten used to it as Christians. And so now that it's changing, we're like shocked. And it's okay, you know, you're trying to navigate how do you, which is what the series is about, how yeah. do you, you know, people talk about culture wars and, and t- stuff. You know, I'm not at war with the culture because I'm not at yeah. war with the people. Right. And the hard part is, you know, how do you fight the systems and how do you, you know, how do you live as a citizen in a culture that is increasingly intolerant of right. biblical, just basic biblical beliefs? I mean, we could do that. We could do 10 different examples. Um, and it's not that you're being a jerk, but just there is going to be a point where it's, if you stand for Christ, there's there's going to be pushback. And it's become increasingly. My point to the church was this is not new for most of Christian history. Yeah. It's just new for us. Yeah, It's not new for many of our brothers and sisters around the world. It hadn't been for you know, thousands of years. But for us in the West that has typically been encouraged and at least supported, whether it be schools or whatever, that is changing. It's different in different pockets. You know, it's different in the Midwest than it might be in Seattle or something. Mm-hmm. But either way, the trajectory is what it is, and it's just don't be surprised about it. Yeah, and <clears throat> I think as you as we were talking through this, I was thinking through this idea of suffering and how I think maybe the things we gained as a culture where where societal, like I, my parents could send me off into the world and knew that if I ran into a random adult in the street, he was gonna, that adult would say the same thing to me that they were saying, yeah. don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, like be this person. And yeah. that definition of good was the same. Yeah. Um, there is real benefit to that, like real tangible benefit, I think, as a society, um, not just not just as a church, not just as Christians, but as a greater society, real benefits. I think that there is something dangerous in that, um, in that I think, I think that we as believers should expect some some level of suffering because it's it's it's. I think it's sort of required for the journey. A hundred percent. We don't. Yeah. It's it's. What is what C.S. Lewis say? He said suffering is God's megaphone. Yeah. It's a megaphone. We don't we don't learn a lot during the blessing. We learn a lot during the the challenge. Yeah. And the, this is a random deal. But when you talk about COVID, and we talked about this culturally, to some degree, I mean, it was already going this way as far as in the United States, for example. The cultural Christianity was slowly ebbing away, mm-hmm. little by little, in pockets and so forth, and a little bit more on the coast and that kind of thing. What in my opinion, what COVID did is COVID accelerated right. post-Christianity culturally probably by 15 years. Mm. And uh, so uh, an example, I was just in a meeting this morning talking about this. Uh, 20 years ago, sometimes people would go to church to be seen uh, because it was good for their business, uh, because it was good for their status in the community. Um, and that, you know, that probably has gone by the way, you know, in certain parts of the country 20 years ago, but in certain parts in the Bible belt or what's left of the Bible belt, you know, that was still, it was kind of good for your standing or whatever, networking or whatever that is almost entire. And it was still a little bit there before COVID and that's almost all gone. And And to Tyler's point, there's obviously some difficult parts of that, but there's a lot of good parts of that as well. Yeah. Cause if you look statistically, Practicing believers, practicing Bible-believing believers has not changed percentage-wise in the last 60 years. It's about 25%. We're talking about practicing, read your Bible, pray, yeah. go to go to a faith community. That's not changed. What has changed is that next 25% that would just check the box, yes, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Muslim or I'm not an atheist or I'm not a whatever, yeah. that has gone from, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm not this, that's actually gone to the nuns, N-O-N-E. Yeah. And so even though the stats are like, oh, it's gone down 25%, when you look at it beneath the surface, practicing believers, that has not changed 
at all. It's just easier to tell now. It's who's on Team Jesus now. It's not pop. It's not as popular to be on Team Jesus as it was ten years ago. And there's there's some pros to that. Uh, there's some difficulty with it, but there's some pros, and it gets rid of the it it kind of takes away a little bit of the cultural Christianity. Principle number three, honoring authority. Jesus flips greatness upside down by calling us to honor authority. Uh, and you also said you threw in there, submit to authority just to make it even more. Yeah, if I had more like... backbone, I would have just put that as the, the <laughs> thing. I just submit to authority. But, uh, you know, the deal is there has been abuse of authority, and it's so prevalent. And it's I, I was like, oh, let me just put honor. Right. But, you know, submission is a bad word in our culture. It's not a bad word in the Bible. Uh, it's uh, authority is not a bad word, and it's not a bad word in the Bible. It's the way God structured stuff. Uh, what has happened is obviously the abuse and the highlighting of that abuse makes it very difficult. Um, but it was for me that was like that little oh, I've never seen this before, where it yeah. said that's where Jesus. They're like, hey, grant this thing, and Jesus is like that's not even for me to give. Yeah, mind blowing. And we're obviously a strong Trinitarian believing church. But what you do see is Jesus clearly says, that's not in my job description right now. I have voluntarily in the incarnation mm -hmm. functionally submitted to the will of the Father at this time. And I'm like, man, that's, I mean, I, that was mind-blowing. That was like one of those yeah. little moments about Wednesday of last week. Never, never seen yeah. that. I, I, was, um, I was thinking about how when we honor authority, it's, it's another one of those values that sounds really good. Even I mean, it, it, what you said is true that culturally it's the authority is sort of a scary word and it's like, oh, well, if people in authority, they abuse it. But real, the reality is like you walk into any job right off the street, your corporate job, they're going to say, hey, listen, you need to respect the people in charge of you. And, and that's like if you do that, if you do that well, then you're, you're more or less a good person. You know, you're doing it right. Good job. Good job. Um, but there's this undertone underneath it that I find fascinating as I was processing through this idea of ambition and power that I respect. If I'm in a corporate environment, I may respect authority so that I may one day have it. Mm. Like there's this, there's, there's still this me at the bottom of it that mm. is, that's really sure. unacceptable in the eyes of Christ. C.S. Lewis has this whole deal about the, the inner circle. Like we go through our lives, we have a lot of circles that we run in our family, our friends at work. We have corporate circles. Like there's the people we, we, we lunch with. There's the people we have meetings with. And each one of those is sort of a different circle and always right beyond whatever circle you're in, there's another circle. And in that circle is where decisions about you and about your friends are getting made. And you just, if I can just pull, pull the right levers, push the right buttons, man, I'm going to get in that circle. And if I could just get in that circle, <laughs> man, life would be so much better. But the wild thing happens when you get there. You find out when you get inside that yeah. circle, there's another there's circle. Another circle. <laughs> there's another, someone is still making it's decisions endless. for you. Well, and everybody is yeah. under authority. Yeah. Everybody is under authority. At some point, everybody is under authority. Whether you know it or not, you're, there is the other circle. Uh, I'm going to read the C.S. Lewis deal. I haven't, I haven't heard that part it's of just, it. Yeah. And but, I love that because there's a lie at the bottom of it. The lie is I could just, if I could, there's, there's a place, there's an arrival point in which I will have the ultimate authority, in which I will have the ultimate say, and I don't have to respect anybody anymore, at least not in the right. do what I tell you sort of sure. respect. And Jesus, of course, he flips it. He says, it's all a lie. Yeah. The, yeah. the greatest of you must become yeah. the least. And that, that's yeah. the path to, to joy and contentment and peace. And that's, 
And that's one of those things that like, I'm the guy, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm always looking for the circles. I'm like, where's, where's the circle I want to find? And it's trouble. It's nothing yeah, but trouble. It's trouble. No. I, I was thinking, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say for me, it was also looking at, you know, you have kind of the two, the dual aspect of that, you know, those that you have in a sense authority over, which that's, that's a leadership deal. And we talked about that, right. but also it's, it's those that, um, you know, we talk about power trips and that's where my mind went with the barista and the, mm -hmm. and the, and the, you know, the, the ticket counter person is what happens when, you know, people that have a tiny little bit of authority and let me just exercise that crazy. And that's where we can all get to and, and uh, trying to say, all right, how do I, how do I show grace and honor in those people to whom I have authority over, whether yeah. it's temporary, like the Starbucks barista, or whether it be, you know, more, yeah. uh, you know, throughout the week? I was really struck during the message. You shared a story about, you said, hey, when I was 28, you were an XP at another church. And uh, just the, the thought process you were going through and what it meant to submit to authority. And you talked about how um, he was gracious to you, patient with you, that kind of thing. It was funny because I was sitting there listening and I'm like, Oh, I'm I'm 29. <laughs> you know, the cycle continues in many ways and I've found that you know that you've been patient with me and 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 instilled wisdom and, and that kind of same thing. It's interesting how God kind of uses generations to continue to develop people. Um and, you know, it's it's a principle that's so interesting when we talk about authority that Tyler what you were mentioning a minute ago is that you've got hey, in the world there's this basic you know, hey, yeah, you should you should honor authority, but what Jesus is asking is far deeper and far more difficult in many ways, which is what happens when that authority is not great. You know, what mm -hmm. happens when you don't when you don't buy in a hundred percent. And my generation, I've found if just to, to speak to millennials, we're really guilty of just constantly looking for the perfect leader to follow that meets all of our criteria, that thinks exactly how we think, that believes all the exact same things that we believe. First of all, that's a mirage. You're not going to find that person. Um, that person is you, and you're not going to be happy if you're in that seat because you don't know how to live under authority. Um, but, I, you know, God's been really working on me you know, in the last couple of years of, and if you've got somebody who you serve underneath that's in authority over you who has basic integrity, and, and honestly, sometimes maybe even if they don't, um, do you really trust that God is going to give you what you need? Mm -hmm even in the midst of that person, you know? You know, and there's t two quick examples, uh, one from, both from Secular. Uh, one of them is, uh, you go back to that famous business book, uh, Good to Great, mm -hmm. and he talks about level five leadership. And level five leadership is kind of what was, he, a little bit of what Jesus is talking about. It's like an intense sense of humility, but a strong will. Mm -hmm. And so you see both those in the in the, in the text. The second one is uh, the great theologian, uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius uh, from, uh, <laughs> from Gladiator. But if you look at... Uh, because leadership is fascinating, number one, and mm -hmm. so leadership and authority and how. But contrast in that movie, like the way that he tried to lead, and the way that uh, what's Joaquin Phoenix? What was his character called? Oh uh, yeah, I don't remember which, oh, which, which emperor he was. Gladiator. Well, even all, even his dad. His dad was kind of in between. Maximus Gladiator. You know, he was like a great leader, humble, uh, all that kind of stuff. And people like, I want to follow that guy. I want to follow that guy. And then when Joaquin Phoenix came up, I, I cannot believe, I can't remember his I'm name. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Uh, when, it's bothering but me he too. was like the opposite. He, it, it, he, was the, he was like the bad leader. You know, he, uses, he, had, he had authority, but he used it for his own selfish gain. Uh, all, the, all the check marks, marks, he did the opposite. 
and and people followed him only because of the authority. And there's so many leadership lessons in that movie, besides being just one of the best movies of all time. But just the fact, okay, that's a leader, super effective, self-sacrificial, all that kind of stuff. That's a good example. Yeah. And he has authority. But you have this guy over here. He has authority as well, and he abused authority and yeah. abused people. So again, it's the kingdom. It's just you know how are you going to use it? How are you going to leverage it? Commodus. Commodus. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. scary. Am I not? Am yeah. I not merciful? But you know what is that? What's interesting about both of those examples? You can God can and does teach you through both good and bad examples sure. of authority, and yeah. that's a a perspective that is incredibly helpful to have as you follow Jesus. Um, man. Big quote. I wanted to write it down exactly how you said it. If you can't live under authority, you really can't be in authority. Uh, and that's the thing that's been kind of sticking with me, rolling around in my head. So regardless of what that looks like. So I did a little bit of an exercise. I was telling Christian about this this morning. Um, I know that both of you guys have read or at least perused uh, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Mm -hmm. um, I read it last year. Incredibly powerful. Like I took a lot away right. um, from that book. Um, something has been like nagging at me for about a year since I read the book. And that is, is sort of this question of like, what lies do I believe? Like, what are these, what are these fundamental things that are not true in light of scripture, in light of the truth of God's character and, and how he reveals himself in the Bible? What do I believe that's false? And, um, so my title here at Biltmore Church is Video Storyteller. I love stories. I'm passionate about telling stories. And so I had a little thought exercise um, about three weeks ago where I was like, if I were to write a book in which I was the villain, Tyler Flores, with all of his, the good, the bad, the ugly of Tyler Flores, if I was the villain, what lie about me that's true right now would make me the villain of that story? Mm. And so I got a piece of paper and I wrote down, in light of scripture, what are the lies that I believe? And I started whittling them down, whittling them down, and came up with one that I was like, if that, like, that, is, that is currently true of me, tomorrow I could become the villain of anybody's story. Mm. And that lie that I believe is this simple lie, I can fix it. Mm. That's, my, that's my lie. That's the one that's unique to me. And when you said in the sermon yesterday, I got this, because it, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a parallel, just another version. I can fix. The, if you would just give me your problems, if you just stop, just stop for a minute, let me fix it, I can make it better. I can look at my wife and say, I, if you just listen to me, I can fix it. How's that go? Does that go, Never, does that go well? And, and that's the point, right? Yeah. Is that God puts, the, God puts the lie to it every single time, and yet I still believe it. Deep down, and my, my core frustrations, my core anxieties are, I can, just, I can just fix this, as opposed to, Again, turning it upside down, because I think at the core of it, I think we all sort of believe something like that lie. Jesus says, no, you got to open your hand because the, more, the, the, tighter, the tighter you hold it, the tighter you try, the more you try to fix it, the more you're going to find that you fail, the more that you find you fall flat. And, and it all comes down to that pride that I, I, I can elevate myself. I can just hold. I can just hold mm -hmm. as opposed to just releasing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the, the fundamental lie, if you look at Genesis 3, we'll touch on it a little bit. The fundamental lie that Adam fell to, if you kind of use a 10,000-foot view, is he fell into the fact that he didn't believe that God was for him. Right. It's like, God's not, God's not for you. That tree, that one tree, God's holding out on you. Yep. I mean, God didn't want the best for you. That's the reason he cordoned that thing off. And so everything kind of goes from there. And I look back at almost any bad decision I make at, at its root. It's like, I got to help God. I got to fix it. Yeah. I got to, God's not really for me. Bottom yeah. line, he's holding out. Make so, your own way. And that's how it circles back to ambition. Yeah. That it's, uh -huh. just, yep. it's an elevation of self. It's like, yep. I'm, I'm going to be the top guy. Yeah. 
Last thing, tying right into ambition, because you've said before, and I'm sure you'll say again, that ambition in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's the kind of the, what's that? Is it godly ambition or is it personal ambition? And so yeah. the last principle is just to serve others yeah. um, and to leverage that ambition for other people. Um, and I think that's key because in a society, in a Christian society, or even in, a, in church, sometimes people have tried to, for lack of a better term, emasculate ambition. Mm. It's like, you should have ambition, you should have ambition. And that's not, I don't see that in the Bible. It's what's right. the ambition for and who's right. the ambition for? You know, is it self-serving? Is it my own kingdom I'm building up? That is, that's wicked ambition and that yeah. doesn't lead to any place good. But ambition for the glory of God, for the good of others, for flourishing of others, all that, mm-hmm. that is good and godly and needed and commissioned, yeah. all of that stuff. And so ambition is just like passion to do something and and that's great. And we use the, it's like, I want to have a great marriage. I want to have a great walk with God. I want to have a great church, all this stuff. It comes a lot of it just come. what's my motive? Uh, what are, what's my motive and what's the manner in which I go about building it? Yeah. And those, those dovetail together. My motive is bad. I'll do, I'll get outside of God's will and how I do it. Tyler, you and I both love uh, the movie. It's a wonderful life. I do. This is a real passion. Uh, fantastic movie. Is it? A, do you think that's a Christmas movie? First of all, that's my number one. Question. Um, it's definitely it is okay. a Christmas movie. It's not as good as Gladiator, but I'll, 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 <laughs> give, I'll give you a time. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll be like number five. I have a friend who uh, we've talked about this almost every year. Um, you know, I, I love It's a Wonderful Life, and I found as as I get older, I appreciate the movie more and more. Same. And I have a friend who's every year we talk about it, and she's like, I just don't like it, you know. And, and the whole perp, the whole reason she doesn't like it is because she's looking at it, going, Man, he just his life was so sad. Right, the main character. What what's his name? George. George. His life is so sad. He never got to do any of the things that he wanted to do. He wanted to travel. He wanted to, you know, make a great name for himself. All these different things. And, you know, I have essentially got to the point in that conversation where every year I'm like, I don't know when it's going to be, but one of these years it's going to dawn on you that he didn't necessarily get what he thought he wanted, but his life was so meaningful. It mattered so much because he leveraged it, whether he realized it or not, he was leveraging it for other people. And that's what the end of the movie is all about. All these people who he poured his life out for show their appreciation back to him. He gets to see how all that serving other people was the stuff that really mattered. And that was the stuff that of like true ambition and true greatness. It was the stuff that made his life Wonderful. No. (laughs) I'm sorry. We had to do it. I'm never coming back to the podcast. (laughs) Uh, so uh, let me ask you this, Pastor Bruce. Uh, one of the things that we we talked about briefly in our Connect Group Sunday night is this: How do we ensure, or maybe we don't, that when we are actively serving, that we're doing it with the right motives? I'm hearing you talk about the motives. Um, what would you say to, to to that question? Well, I mean that is that's the thousand dollar question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a guy used to put this, this the simple word "why" on his mirror. So every mm-hmm. time in the mirror in the morning, he would look at it and he's like, "Why? Why am I doing it? What is my motive doing that?" Again, it comes down to that. That comes down because the why is internal. The why is easy to hide. Yeah. The, the, you can sanctify the why. So in some ways, it's it goes back to your basic Christian journey. My walk with the Lord. Uh, uh, it goes back to allowing people to ask the questions. If you can kind of go back to, I think it was that, that point one, wh- what are the check engine lights that are right. like, if I'm a, I'm not really great in authority if these things are true. And one of them was, you know, you, you, nobody ever speaks into your life mm-hmm. and you can falsely think, well, there's not a lot of stuff they could correct. That's probably not the yeah. issue. The issue is you do not receive that well. And they know that from history. They know last time they did that, you blew up like Mount St. Helens and <laughs> they don't want to go there anymore. Yeah. And so yeah. all that being said, uh, it goes back to motive is hard. 
again, that goes back to humility. I want to struggle with that. Why am I doing that? Um, you know, we are sinners by nurture and nature. And so very few things we're going to have like the purest, 100% of motives. So I think what you do is you struggle against it. You battle against it. You want to have pure, you know, you're like, you know, like even take like church. Like I think 100% of my motive, I mean, I want to have a great church for the glory of God. We want to reach Western North Carolina, even on goal setting. When you start talking about, man, we want to have 10,000 people, blah, 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 blah. You still have to ask, what's your motive? Right. Is your motive to get in the magazines Mm -hmm. or is your motive the glory of God and the salvation of people? Mm. And those are all good ones to battle and go back to and have people people speak in. And even if it kind of hurts a little bit, yeah. uh, at least it makes you think, what is my motive? Yeah. So little follow-up there. In a hypothetical, it's not really actually all that hypothetical because I'm sure a lot of people find themselves, and I know I have. If I look in the mirror and I ask, okay, I'm going ser- to serve my wife. I'm going to serve at my church. I'm going to serve in the community. And I, and I see the why on the mirror, and the answer is, is not a gracious one. Like it's like I'm gonna serve. I I, I don't want to. And this answer is self-serving. Should I still serve? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, yes, I think you do yeah. the right thing until the feelings catch up. Uh-huh. Right. It's like uh, I mean, take marriage. Uh, should I? Uh, should you apologize to your wife when you've done something wrong? I don't feel like it. Well. It doesn't matter. Do you do what's right and you trust God with the feelings? There it is. And then you start to you know you work on the motives and you do all that stuff. And so again, serving by the way. Is not it is the menial task. You're, nobody's above that. But it also you got leaders listening now. You know maybe they're like city councilmen or you know they've they've been given a sphere of leadership, mm-hmm. and they are serving. It's not that they won't pick up the trash. Uh, that's that's the warning. But do realize that serving also entails the way they're leading. I know some people say oh, there's you know servant leadership, but that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's just are you. Are you leading in a way that you are serving other people? I think that's the kind of goes back to the goes back to the motive. All great stuff today. We could have done this for three hours, uh, but we'll wrap it up here. I feel like this is a good place to stop. Uh, let me encourage you: make sure you, uh, if you didn't catch Sunday, if you weren't here with us at one of our campuses, go back and listen to the message, watch the message. A lot of great biblical principles for you to uh, engage as you continue to follow Jesus. Also want to just recommend real quick, we talked about this on Sunday, but in case you missed it, hey, if you're looking for a way to serve and you want to start serving in the church, man, we've got a texting thing for everything, right? Um, One of our pastors, uh, he says, you can't go to heaven without going through Atlanta, talking about the Atlanta airport. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to think you're going to have to text something to 28282, you know, you do. to get there. <laughs> text the word follow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but, hey, text the word reach. No, that's not. Is that surf. it? Surf. Sorry, I don't know. I'm all Bro, tied up. You got the you got the mission statement, but it's all right. I almost missed landed. The, you missed the layup. I'm, I, I didn't stick the landing there. <laughs> text the word. Now, now I'm turned around with it. Text the word surf to 28282. Uh, We would love to have you jump on one of our reach teams, start serving in the church. What better way to start than to do um, that? And let me also say, attaboy to Biltmore Church, because I just got out of a campus pastor meeting a little while ago, and they were talking about how many folks were at Next uh, next Steps and uh, signing up for reach team orientations. So a bunch of you all responded Sunday to serving, and great job. Doesn't surprise me at all. We were blessed. We got a great church. We got a great church, man. And speaking of you guys, uh, before we wrap up, I want to mention, uh, keep sending us your emails. We love hearing from you, podcast at BiltmoreChurch.com. As we continue our conversation over the next few weeks, can't wait to continue in this series. I hope this has been encouraging for you guys as a church, for everyone listening, everyone watching. Uh, We just want you to be able to follow Jesus as effectively as you can. 
uh, making disciples. That's what we talked about with the with the vision statement right at the top. So as all, oh, no, you're no. leaning into the mic like you I am because I don't trust you to land this. <laughs> so uh, guys, listen, yeah. you are loved and you are sent. <laughs> and sent. Well played, man. <laughs>